Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. So this week, we're, we're continuing in asking the question of how does a weary world rejoice? Uh, last week, we spent the time uh, looking at the story of, of Zachariah and, and Gabriel coming and, and giving him the message that he had uh, and what that looked like and what it looks like to, to truly acknowledge um, the weariness of the world, to, to admit that that is a reality that we face uh, in the midst of this Advent season. Um, and today we're, we're picking up right where that story left off. Um, so we're, we're looking at what uh, kind of Elizabeth's response was to that and, and some other things. So if you want to follow along, um, I'll be reading from uh, Luke verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 45. This is a bit of a longer reading, um, but just know that we'll come back and and we'll look at some of the specifics uh, as we go along. So starting in verse 24. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace that I have endured among my people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words, and she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, we saw the story a little bit more from Zachariah's point of view, um, and kind of his, his reaction to, to what Gabriel said. And now we get to see some of Elizabeth's reaction to the news. 
Um, so she's figured out now she, she's pregnant, um, and she has gone and, and secluded herself away, actually. She says that uh, God has blessed her and taken away this disgrace um, because she's no longer a barren woman. Uh, you know, she's no longer shamed. Um, yet in the midst of that, she still hides herself away. She shuts herself off from the world. Now, we can't know why, because the text doesn't say Maybe Elizabeth still couldn't get rid of those feelings of shame that she carried from, from being labeled as a, a barren woman. Maybe she felt that she had nothing in common with the other women that were pregnant around her, just because their situations in life were so different. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Elizabeth was alone, her husband could not speak, and she hid herself away. And then just as Elizabeth is faced with some pretty big news, we turn in the scene and, and we see Gabriel coming to Mary and, and speaking to her just as uh, he did Zach and Elizabeth. Um, and he's offering a similar message, but it's on a much grander scale. On a bit of a side note to this though, I love Mary's reaction, um, just because I think it's very fitting all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel appears, and, and um, I mean, just imagine that. You're, you're standing there, minding your own business, uh, and then poof, there's, there's an angel. There's, this, there's just this person there, and I, I think my reaction would be pretty similar. I'd be kind of like, hey, what, what's going on? I don't know if I would rejoice necessarily. I think um, that the pondering and, and asking what this means is, is very fitting in that situation. Um, but regardless of that, the angel continues uh, and gives this grand announcement. Mary is going to bear Jesus, and she's told all of these incredible things that Jesus is going to be. She's going to bear the Messiah, the, the one that Israel had been praying for for centuries. She would play an amazing part in this epic story. Yet, again, you look at the text, and, and it doesn't say that she rejoiced or that she was filled with joy at this news. All it says is that Mary reacted by saying, here I am, Lord. Do with me as you see fit. She just has a quiet acceptance of this news, and then she goes out to see Elizabeth. Now, looking at these two, the pregnancy stories and, and, and realities are, are very similar, yes, but they're not the exact same. So Elizabeth is pregnant with John and her husband, whereas Mary is pregnant with Jesus, but she is an unwed mother. What must Mary be feeling in this moment? I think she might be a little overwhelmed. Um, there might be some fear. I think there would also be an acknowledgement that life is about to get a little more difficult. Mary was engaged to Joseph, but she wasn't Mary. The news comes, obviously, with a very public display in the next couple months. Um, and she knows that she's going to be facing ridicule for being pregnant and engaged, but not married. Eusto Gonzalez is a United Methodist theologian. Um, he compares the two situations of Elizabeth and Mary in his commentary on Luke. And he says something, um, I think, really important there. Um, 
he says how both of these pregnancies were unexpected, but one happens as a miracle from God between a husband and a wife, while the other includes an unwed mother and the stigma that comes with that reality. The thing is, Mary is aware of the optics of the situation, to borrow a modern term. She knows that the journey ahead will be difficult. It's not going to be easy. She knows she's going to be lonely, and she's aware of the ridicule that she's going to face. Regardless of what Gabriel said, Mary will have to fight to convince people that this is a miracle of God and not just a scandalous pregnancy. She knows she's about to feel very isolated and alone. Now, know that the irony is not lost on me here. Oh, it's the intern's first time to preach. Let's give him something he can definitely relate to. Super easy. Um, two pregnant women. That's perfect. Um, now, I know that I will never know what it feels like to be pregnant. I'm aware of that. Um, but while I can't relate to the physical state that Elizabeth and Mary might be in, I do know that I can relate to that emotional um, and, and kind of some of the positions that they're in. So, as it says, Elizabeth has secluded herself, isolating herself away from the world. Mary knows that coming, she will be ridiculed, um, and she's going to be pretty isolated as well. I'll never know what it's like to be pregnant, but I do know what it's like to be alone. I do know what it feels like to think that no one is like me or that I'm facing the weight of this world all on my own. So I'm pretty new here and uh, I haven't been able to share a lot of my story with all of you, um, but just so you all know, I've been pursuing uh, ministry in, in a, a ministry position for, for about five years since I graduated with my undergrad. Um, and in that time, this is actually my first official ministry position. In that time, I've seen a lot of my colleagues go on. Uh, they get into the, the positions that they're looking for. Um, they're moving forward in their calling. Um, and I felt really stuck and stagnant for a long time. I watched as friends seem to be moving forward in their lives and in their careers. And I just felt like I wasn't going anywhere. I found myself feeling like a failure, honestly. I felt that I had let my wife down. Um, I felt that I had let my family down. Um, and that I had let all those people that told me growing up how incredible my ministry was going to be, I feel like I let all them down as well. All of these feelings kind of brought me to, to a pretty low place in my life. Um, a place where I, I'd even started questioning, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is, is this what I'm called to? Um, but I told myself, I said, oh, I'm, I'm just, it's just a funk, you know? It's just, it's just a thing. I'm in the middle of it. I'll get out of it. I'll be fine. It'll be okay. Um, I don't need to let anyone else in. If, you know, if, if I do that, I'm just a burden on them. I'm just giving them my problems that, that I can definitely face on my own. Um, and I told myself that over and over. And yet through all of that, all I felt was worse and worse. 
you know, my whole plan for my life was coming derailed in front of my eyes. And rather than reaching out and, and telling someone, I just kept isolating myself. Convinced that doing it on my own was what I needed to do. But in reality, that was the exact opposite of what I needed. Now I know not everyone experiences this exact same scenario, but I have heard so many similar stories. People that are facing the world alone. And when we do that, oh, it just makes everything so much heavier. But we have this phrase, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This idea that it's more honorable, it's more respectable that you, you face the world alone, that you shun the help from others. But does that ever actually work? Is it ever really better to just face everything in front of you on your own? Now, Lyde, thank goodness that this story doesn't end here. You always have to keep going. You always have to finish the story. Because if we just stopped before Mary went to see Elizabeth, if we just stopped with her reaction to the news, we miss out on this incredibly beautiful resolution. So when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, the text says that the child in Elizabeth leapt in joy. And then all of a sudden, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke to Mary saying all these incredibly beautiful things about what was to come for Mary. That church is the beauty of connection. It's the beauty of allowing others into our lives. In the text, neither a Mary or Elizabeth celebrated their own pregnancies. This beautiful moment, this, this life-changing event. Yet, in that moment, neither one of them celebrated for themselves. But when they come together, they can celebrate for one another. Maybe it's more difficult for Elizabeth to be happy in her situation with all she faced, but she knows that Mary is going to do something incredible. And it's the exact opposite for Mary. She knows that her situation will be difficult, that it's not going to be easy, but thank the Lord that Elizabeth has finally gotten this incredible blessing in her life. They celebrate with one another. And in that, we can see the incredible joy that envelops both of them. Elizabeth says all of those things to Mary, and then if you continue in the story, we won't today, but... Mary returns with a beautiful poem of her own, rejoicing in celebration for what's happened to her. Mary is now rejoicing in the situation as well. Both of these women were very isolated, feeling alone, feeling like they were carrying the whole weight of the world on themselves. But yet, when they come together, they're able to share in their joy for one another. And in sharing in that joy, they pull each other out of that funk that they were both in. Their shared experiences draw them together. And they find connection with one another. And through that connection comes the joy that they feel. Whatever weight they were carrying on their own becomes a lot lighter. They have someone else to share that weight, to carry some of that with them. That's the beauty of connection. 
and allowing others to share in life with you. We share the joy of others so that we can bring more joy into the community. And we bear one another's burdens as well to help lift some of the weight of the weary world that we live in. Now, we're not denying that the world is weary. But man, does it make it a whole lot easier whenever we're supporting one another, whenever we're caring for one another in the midst of that weightiness. We share our joys and support in the trials. True community is present during both. And then just as God brought these two women together to share in their joy with one another, God also did something very similar through my wife, actually. Um, so I was existing in this vicious spiral of feeling worse and worse and convincing myself that I have to face it on my own, I have to overcome it on my own. And, and um, honestly, I'd convinced myself that I was hiding it pretty well. Um, I didn't know how wrong I was in that. Um, but I just, I told myself, you know, I was hiding it. I definitely was. But it definitely showed. And uh, my wife, Renique, saw it. She pulled me onto the couch in our apartment. And uh, she looked at me and she said, what's wrong? Just very plain, very basic. And at first I, I pushed back. I said, oh, nothing, I'm fine. Um, school's stressful. You know, I'm just going through a lot. It's, it's you know, it just is what it is. Um, but she wouldn't relent. She kept pressing. She said, okay, what else? And she kept digging and kept digging until finally I, could, I couldn't take it anymore. And, and not because of, of it was annoying or any of that, but because I just felt so much weight. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't keep up the facade. So I let it all out. I spoke everything that I was feeling with her and uh, instantly all of that weight that was on my shoulders became so much lighter. I just felt instant relief in that moment. And then from that, I realized that I wasn't alone. And she started pouring encouragement into me. She pointed out all the ways that I was living into that calling, even though, you gotta stop it. <laughs> even though I didn't have the job that I was convinced that I was called to, um, she showed me all the ways that I'd been doing exactly all those things that made me not in the job, but in the life I was living. She pointed out all the beauty and the joy that our life together had. She pulled me right out of that place. And honestly, find yourself someone like that. Find yourself someone that will sit down with you and challenge you whenever you're, you're putting up with a, you're, you're putting some foolishness out there, I would say. There's other words for it, but find someone that's willing to challenge you a little bit. Because if Renique had not sat me down and not taken no for an answer, I don't know what my life would look like today. I don't know if I ever would have gotten out of that place. But when I opened up to her and I let her speak into me, I felt so much joy. And I was able to experience the joy of others around me. All those colleagues that I was jealous of, now I became so grateful that I knew them and so excited for them to step into their new journeys. All of these stories that I heard of people moving on in their lives that I said, why is that not me? 
I then instantly could go, thank the Lord, they're doing incredible things. And then eventually, I was able to take in others' joy. And I, I got to the point that I was able to share and, and experience my own joy as well. The reality is lied. God designed us for connection. We have to have others in our lives so we can share the joy that we may feel with others when they feel like they have not. You know, we have that phrase, a lone wolf. The idea of this person who, you know, oh, I just, I'm a lone wolf. I like to face it on my own, whether at work or in life, you know, the ones that are just like, ah, I don't need any help, you know, I'm just a lone wolf. And, and there's something ironic about that um, because we have an idea of what that means, but in actual wolves, it's a very different understanding. Um, according to a post on, on wolfcenter.org, um, <laughs> don't judge, you find, <laughs> it's still a good post and it's got the .org, that's what they told me. In high school and college, .org is always better than .com, okay? <laughs> but regardless of that, um, what it talks about is that a lone wolf is not actually a wolf that just wants to go off and be on its own or be away from the pack because it, it disagrees or it prefers it that way. What a lone wolf is actually doing is going to find community. It's going to increase the community that it had in its pack. It's either searching for a mate or it's, starting, it's searching for a way to create a new pack. A lone wolf isn't someone, isn't a wolf that shuns the community and says, no, I'm gonna do it on my own. A lone wolf says, this community is so incredible, I want to go and make more of this. That's what a true lone wolf is. Because in reality, the community is what enables us to be stronger. The community is what helps to lift the weariness of the world. Just as Mary and Elizabeth were able to come together and share in their experience of joy and their burdens with one another, we do the exact same thing. We come together in our communities, we share the joy of the one with the other, we lift each other up, we give our joy into the communities so that someone else might share in that, and we offer our burdens, we offer those things that are weighing on us so that we can support one another in that. The community is present in both. It's present in the joys and in the despairs. This reminds me of an example an old professor of mine gave the classes as we were meeting one day in my undergrad. Um, we were discussing the question of, of theodicy, which you know is, is a big, big question. It, there's a lot, of, a lot of things to that, but basically it's this idea that, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Or, or why is there evil in the world? So obviously, a class of undergraduate Bible students have the answer, of course. Um, so we were challenging what is essentially an impossible question. Um, and our professor had his fun um, as we offered our whatever our minds could come to to justify or explain this away. And, and he tore those down very easily, very quickly. Um, and after we had kind of exhausted all possibilities and, and we didn't know as a class, um, he took a moment and he offered us this advice. 
He said that when people are truly going through difficult times, when people are really hurting and really experiencing the heaviness of the world, they don't need someone to come and explain to them why there's evil in the world. They don't need someone to come and philosophize about why they're in the position that they're in. He shared a personal story of a time when he was in a very low and difficult place. He said that the thing that did the most good for him was a neighbor or a friend showing up with a casserole. Sometimes they'd sit and be with him and listen. Sometimes they would just drop off a casserole and leave. But he said that, that act of love and support is all that mattered in that time. That church is the power of community to stand and celebrate together through the joys of life, but also to sit, cook a casserole, and be present when the world is just so incredibly weary. Maybe like that time when I felt alone and I thought I was going to just handle all those problems on my own. Maybe in a sense, I was kind of like a lone wolf. In that moment, I felt maybe alone, isolated, but I was just on my way to a new community. I was just on my way to a new place. Because the reality is, is after that, God opened the doors for me to be here and to experience life and community with all of you. Community is an incredible thing. And we have an incredible community here. The times I've seen sharing the joys, sharing the burdens here at Lide has been incredible. And we can't just hold this to ourselves, church. Community grows, community expands, community invites people in. So this week, I want us all to take some time. Take some time to share the burdens here so that others can help us lift that weightiness. Share your joys so that you might be able to bring joy to someone who can feel none for themselves. Take time to live into the communities that God has given you. And then turn around, offer that same community to others. Because we all know that we need this community.